0: Okay, great. Well, I have got, I believe, something from God to share. Hopefully I can impart it to you. Um, open wide your hearts, open wide your ears, and listen to him. It might be my voice, but listen to him, and he will not let you down. He will give you what you need. Even more than I've prepared, he will give you what you need. Okay, I've got, I want to start with a, a passage that I saw um, Recently, I've just been reading through the Bible, I've got a chronological Bible thing that I read through, and I came across this a a week and a half ago, and it really sort of, I just thought, yeah, that's a great great story, and I wanted to kind of share it, and it it talks about what I'm going to talk about. It's about a guy called Rehoboam. Does anyone know who Rehoboam is? A king, right, a king. Some of you who listen to um, the uh, cricket on Radio 4 might have heard about Jeroboam, because they're always talking about Jeroboams of Champagne. Well, a Rehoboam of champagne is actually a times and a half a Jeroboam. So jeroboams is the smallest. It's four bottles. A Rehoboam is six bottles. And it goes right up to a Nebuchadnezzar, which I'm not sure what that is. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big bottle. You probably need a tank to bring it. But anyway, this is about Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. Solomon's son and became king after Solomon. And if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read a passage to you to start with. I don't, don't always read, but I wanted to read it this time to get the, the full nuances of the story because I sometimes forget the bits and bobs so 1 Kings 12 and it's 1 to 19 about Rehoboam I'm at a disadvantage because you guys can see the clock and I can't so I'll put that there just so I've got some idea of how many hours I've been (laughs) right I promise not to be more than three is that okay (laughs) yeah that's right right I'm reading from the ESV the uh, by version but you could probably follow it in in yours I'm going to, actually, I'm going to start at um, verse 3, and it's about uh, Rehoboam as king, and the Israelites come to him with a request. He's just become queen, king not so long ago. Um, oh, and I, actually, I'm, it's four I'm going to start, I'm sorry. It says, Your father, which is Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father, and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So obviously, they've been hard-pressed under Solomon. They've been serving hard. Under Solomon, And the master Rehoboam just re- releases a bit from this hard yoke. It's too heavy for us. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. That's his chance for people to be kind of smug this morning. Okay. It says, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying... How do you advise me to answer this people? So he's gone to the, the old men, or the elders, really. I think we read it as elders, not just old people, because old people don't always talk sense. But it's, it's the elders who are talking with wisdom, not just you know, the babbling of an old fool, as it were. But it's, it's the old men with wisdom. okay. And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever." but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. You got a feeling this story's going a little bit awry already? (laughs) You're right. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made your yoke heavy, our yoke heavy, sorry, but you lighten it for us, Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. doesn't mean literal scorpions there. Yeah. The scorpion is a whip with nails in it. So it's not just a whip, but it's got, a, it's got nails in the whip. So it's, you know, it's doubly hard. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Jeroboam the third day as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events brought about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the sh- sorry, Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel, who lived in the cities of Judah. Then king Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So There's a bit of a strange story there. Somehow the king has kind of taken advice from the elders, got some good advice that if he serves the people, they will, be ser- will serve him. But he's rejected that advice and gone for the young guys. Um, torn them away from watching Fortnite and their football results and said, what do you think I should do? And they said, you know, just make it harder for them. Make it harder, you know, it just kind of sort of. But, but basically, God has brought about his plan, which was to, to, tear part of the, to tear the kingdom in two, if you like, which was what he'd said to the prophet. Um, he'd done it through them. But what I want to just think about this morning is this whole thing about serving. Because the old man said to him, and I'll read it again, if you will be a servant to this people today, and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them. They will be your servants forever. So this amazing thing that he said to the king, if you serve them, they'll serve you. If you serve them, they'll serve you. And there's a whole lovely thing going on of serving. He serves them, they serve you. And everybody's served. Yeah? As opposed to putting thick, you know, big, big whips upon them and, and whipping them to death with nails and all that kind of thing. So I just want to just think about serving, because I think serving is a key. It's not something we talk about a lot. It's something we perhaps think as Christians we should be doing. And I want to get away from shoulds at the moment. If I preach on serving and you don't want to serve, well, don't. Okay? I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying if you want to live a life of fulfillment and a life that fulfills the purpose of God in your life, the, the, the way of service is the way to go. But we don't have to. We don't have to do anything, do we? But we can do. We get to. We get to be servants. We get to serve one another. And in serving, I believe there's, there's great reward because things happen in our lives as opposed to uh, if we ignore the advice of the elders and do our own thing. I'll be one of the elders today. I'll be an old man. I know I'm not very old. I'm quite young, but I'll, I'll be an elder, you know, to, to tell you to serve. If you serve, okay, you just have to look at my, um, look in faith at me as a, a young man, you know, so sort of past the grey hair and all that kind of thing. So I just want to start thinking about Joseph because Joseph is a classic example. Firstly, of a young man who was very arrogant and was full of himself and full of, um, you know, what was going to happen and who he was going to be and, and he was going to be above the people, his brothers and his father was going to come down to bad bow down to his mother and all that kind of So he was full of it and things happened in his life. But he's a classic for me of serving and he's a, also a classic of someone who God took and Brought him into his purposes but changed him in, in, the, in the meantime, if you like. And he changed him, I believe, through, um, through the things he went through, but through him learning to serve in those situations. I'm not going to tell the story too, too much because you can look at it yourself and I, it will take quite a long time. But basically, if you remember, he had some dreams when he was a young man of 17. He dreamed firstly of sheaves of corn and everyone else's sheaves of corn were bowing down to his one. Then he dreamed of stars. And the stars were bowing down to him. And through it, he believed that all his brothers and sisters were going to bow down to him. And he was going to be important. And that was going to be great. And it's interesting, again, it's almost like his attitude started to bring about the purposes of God in his life. But it started to bring it about because basically everybody hated him. He got on his nerves because he was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, I can't say it politely. He wasn't a very nice person. He was so full of himself. He was so full of the purpose of God. So arrogant that they, his brothers decided they were going to kill him. And so they got hold of him one day, and they were going to kill him. But one of his brothers, I think it was Reuben, interceded and said, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. Um, and then they saw these, these, uh, these traders, a caravan of traders came along. So they sold him to these traders who took him to Egypt, who sold him to a guy called Potiphar. Remember Potiphar? So he was with Potiphar. And it's very interesting. He was sold as a slave. So Joseph thought he's gonna, everyone's going to bow down to him. All of a sudden, he's being sold As a slave and it's quite interesting I do want to read some of some of the verses around because basically what happened was God's hand was upon him God's favor was upon him and in every situation he went into he was successful and brought favor and he brought a blessing on on the place where he was at so in verse 6 of Genesis 39 verse 2 sorry 39 2 says the Lord was with him he became a successful man and Potiphar, his boss, saw the Lord was with him and caused all he did to succeed. He f- found favor in his sight and he was made an overseer. And it says, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So this guy, Potiphar, didn't have to worry about a thing apart from what was on his plate. Do I like it? Do I not like it? I'll eat it. Didn't have to worry about his whole household because Joseph was in his household he wasn't just sitting there going, the blessing of God's on this place, I can sit down and put my feet on. No, he was working hard. He was being a servant. He was working for the interests of the house of Potiphar. He was working for the interests of his, of his boss, if you like. And he was getting on and doing the dirty jobs. If you're a slave, you don't necessarily get the nice jobs, do you? You get the dirty jobs that no one else wants to do, don't you? A bit like being a mum, really, isn't it? You get all those dirty jobs that no one else wants to do horrible jobs. And that's what he was doing. He was serving. But in his serving, the blessing of God was on the place. And he was seen to be successful so that Potiphar <coughs> didn't worry about anything that was, that was happening in the house because it, everything was taken care of. Everything was taken care of. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, as Christians, we all w- work or we don't work. We're in situations. Are we those kind of people ourselves? Does our boss think, oh, man. Every time I give Roger a job, I have to go and do it myself. What's he doing, that bloke? But Or does he think, wow, I give him a job and he does three. He does what I asked him to do and he does the things I didn't see as well. And so all the, all the way through, I'm not just telling a nice story. I want you to think about yourself and how you operate and how you, you serve. But the thing for Joseph is he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife. Not sure her name was. Was it Potiphar or something like that? I can't, I can't remember. Mrs. Potiphar. And she wanted to sleep with him. Um, and so she kind of started to, um, to, to make eyes and all the rest of it. And it's interesting that w- what Joseph said to her. He says, uh, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything uh, that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. It was a tremendous, as a slave. He's in a tremendous position of trust, that, that, through the favor of God. But, but as I say, he was serving. He was a slave. He couldn't just walk off and do his own thing. But he was slaving. He was doing a good job of serving. And then uh, we know the story. She tried to grab hold of him one day, and he ran off with just his well, without anything on, because she grabbed his cloak. And he, he, he ran off quick. He didn't stay around to see if he was strong enough to overcome this temptation. Can I kind of can I overcome? He just went. And sometimes we just need to went, don't we, in situations. <laughs> if we're in bad situations, we need to went away quick. Because, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, so that's what Joseph did. And so he was accused. He was accused of raping this woman or trying to. So he was thrown into prison. So if you like, his life went from sort of kind of favored, the favorite son. I forgot to tell you that, but the favorite son, he was loved. He, went, he was sold by, his brother sold. Boing, he's in part of us house, it's not too bad. Boing, he's into prison. Really, you know, he's had these dreams that he was going to be important to the rest of it. But here he is in the prison. But he doesn't kind of have a pity party like some of us might do. We might be tempted to have a pity party. I've said this before, you know, we sing the pom-pom song. <coughs> you know the pom-pom song? Poor old me, poor old me. <laughs> I've used that 400 times, but yeah. It says, he was put in prison, and it was made an overseer. It says, "Um, but the Lord was with him, this is in prison now, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And he put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever was done there. He was the one who did it. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. So again, he's not just kind of sitting there on his bottom, you know, having a cup of tea. He's doing all the horrible things that need to be done, but he's serving He's looking after people. He's doing those jobs. He's um, that kind of thing. And it says, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So kind of a pattern emerging here, isn't there? Of Joseph being a faithful servant in what he's doing. Quite different from the young 17-year-old who was, you know, sort of pampered and got these dreams that everyone would bow down to him. So at this point in the story, we get two political prisoners coming into the prison. The chief cup bearer and the chief baker. Remember this bit of the story? They've offended Pharaoh somehow, and they got thrown into prison, and Joseph has to look after them. And it's interesting that one morning he comes in, and they, um, they were troubled. They'd had dreams. And it tells you what the dreams are there. The one who had baskets of bread on his head, the crows are eating, and all the rest of it. But just to say that, Joseph came in in the morning to, 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 to serve them, and he saw that their faces were downcast. And he didn't think, oh, they're grumpy old so-and-so. You know, they're always moaning. I'm in prison the same as him. What's up with them? No, he said, you know, I see that your faces are downcast. What, what's, what's, the, what's the score? What's the problem? Why, why, are you, why are you downcast? He got a concern for them. <coughs> had a concern for their, what, where they were at. He didn't just think they were grumpy. He just didn't think, well, serves them right. They shouldn't have offended Pharaoh but he looked out for their interests. And then it says that, that they said, oh, well, we had these dreams, and he interprets the dreams, and one of them's going to get hanged, and one of them's going to get put into Pharaoh's presence again. And Joseph kind of tries to get himself out, and he thinks, aha, uh-huh, I can get myself out of this place. So he says to the guy that gets out and is, is fine, the, the cupbearer, he says, when you're restored to your position, remember me, because I've been put in here, but I'm not supposed to be here. Remember me, get me out. And it says... Uh, the very next line says, um, or it says he, oh, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember." It. but he didn't. He forgot about him. As soon as he's back into position, he forgot about him. And sometimes we can feel a bit like that, can't we? Here am I, serving away, doing everything for everybody. No one gives me a thank you. No one appreciates me. I've got to do all those horrible things. It was a bit like my son saying, you know, about the kids. Um, I did seven things, seven nice things, and they still want something nice. They're still moaning, still want more. Yeah, yeah, that's life, that's people. You do seven nice things, they still want more. That's kids, isn't it? That's people. But, you know, you get that sense of um, uh, poor old me, poor old me again. Here I am. Everyone's forgotten about me. But actually, that's life again, isn't it? It does feel like that sometimes. It does feel like when you're serving that everyone else is having a good time. It's interesting. I mean, this wasn't a hardship, but you know, I, I'm talking on serving, so we get to church and there's no one doing the coffee, so we've got to start getting jugs of water. And we and I spilt it all over the floor, you know, and I'm thinking, oh dear, you know, well, I should be in the back like Mark does, you know, in Seventh Heaven preparing And I'm getting jugs of water to <laughs> put, in the, put in the coffee for you. But that's a, not, not a hardship. But anyway, that's, that, that's, how, it, that's how you can feel it. And I think the enemy plays on that, doesn't he? Puts it in your mind and says, Oh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I think as a guy, guys aren't very good servers, really, are we? You know, we do one thing and we want accolades. You know, uh, I, I made the tea, where's my, um, where's my crown of glory, where's my wreath, where's my you know? And, and the ladies in the house have done it for three million times already, and you know what I'm saying. I think really Olive should be preaching this, but I am, so <laughs> tough. But she's be- much better at serving than I am. I just moan, you know, when one of the kids wants to lift somewhere, I say, oh, no, not again, you know? But she gets on and does it, which is great. But eventually, after two years, he's forgotten for two years, left there for two years after he's you know, he helped these guys. They, they went and forgot him for two years. Pharaoh has dreams. And you know the songs, fat cows and thin cows and uh, eating each other up and, or, and not eating each other, but thin eat the fat. You know, you, you know the, the song. I won't sing it for you. Scott's good at it, but he's not here at the moment. Um, and so uh, Joseph's able to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh, tell him what's going on, and, and they're amazed at the wisdom that's upon him. And so they decide that, because uh, Joseph tells them how to sort this whole thing, he said, there's going to be a famine, there's going to be seven years of plenty, then there's going to be seven years of famine, it's going to be dreadful. This is what you need to do. You need to store up the stuff in the seven years, and then, and then you dole it out in the next seven years. And so the guys think, well, there's no one like Joseph there's no one quite like Joseph. Not so, no. Obviously not. Um, there's no one quite like Joseph. He can do the job for us. And so this is what Pharaoh says to him. 41:46, I think it is. It says, "Pharaoh says to Joseph, "You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards a throne will I be greater than you. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Amazingly, Joseph comes into what God has had for him all along. And as you read on in the Bible, you realize it's not just for him. It's not just to do him good. It's to do a whole nation good. In um, 45.7 it says, and God, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here but God. He made, this is incredible, he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So God fulfilled his purposes through Joseph. Not just for Joseph, people did bow down to him. His brothers did come and bow down to him. But by then, he'd lost his arrogance. He'd lost his kind of um, youthful kind of pride and all the rest of it. And God saved the nation of Israel. God saved that family of Abraham and, and Jacob by putting him into Egypt, and it, it was a bigger purpose. But I believe that Joseph came into what God had got for him because he served. And actually, what he did when he, when he finally got to where God had sent him, if you like, it was the same as he'd been doing all along. In Potiphar's house, he was looking after people, he was ordering things in the prison, he was doing the same. And when he came into, his, into the fulfillment, if you like, he was doing the same. He was still serving. He was still looking out for people. He was using the skills that he'd learned in Potiphar's house, in the prison, and then, yeah, and then he, and they got there. And so I think that's the first lesson. For me, I, I spend a lot of time working, selling sausages on the street, and I used to feel I was like Joseph in prison. But was I learning, that, was I learning what God was teaching me? Was I, because until I've learned the skills that I need for the next stage, I'm going to stay where I am, aren't I? Come on, Eddie, don't cry in Greg talking, please. <laughs> yeah, so Joseph was able to move on when he'd learned the skills, when he'd honed the skills. And that's, that's what part of what it's about, isn't it? It's learning. Am I learning, the, am I learning the skills now that I'll need for the future? Because then God can move me on. But it's through serving, it's through serving. But one of the things I've come to see, and this is through looking at what Jesus said, it's, it's almost like we, we can kind of think, well, Joseph was here, and he came into God's purposes, and he was great over here. But Jesus said that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to serve. And for me, I've realized that when he was serving in Potiphar's house, he was great. When he was serving in the prison, he was great. When he was serving in Egypt, he was great. Okay, he had a lot more. He had more reach, as it were. He had more people to serve. He had more kind of accolades. But he was no greater really there than he was here in the eyes of God because he was learning to serve. And Jesus said, and we'll look at it in a minute, that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to serve, to be a slave of others. That's true greatness. That's, that's, what, what, that, that's what he's looking for. Forget all this kind of... Um, no, don't, I'm not going to say anything else because I might say something silly. So I believe Jesus learned, Jesus, not Jesus, sorry, Um, Joseph, got the same J, Joseph learned to serve when it was bleak, when things looked black, when he didn't know what was going on. I mean, he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know that he was going to be, uh, you know, over Egypt and and second only to, to Pharaoh, but he learned to serve. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do. Learn to serve where we're at, where now, because who knows where we might end up. But we won't be, it won't be any different than now that we will need to learn to, to serve, if you like. Um, let me just um, talk about this a bit more, because it's not about doing jobs. OK, I, I want to get that out of your head. I'm not preaching now so that we can say, right, we've got these rotas that we want to fill. That's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just nonsense, because it's not about doing jobs. Anybody can do jobs. But it's more about an attitude than a heart. And um, I, I want to take you to Philippians 2. And read a little bit there for you. Or a lot there. If you've heard me a lot, you know I all, nearly always t- talk about Philippians. And it's not so much about you guys, it's about me. I have really heard, the, heard it here. I need to keep preaching it so I hear it myself. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, which hopefully there is, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then three and four, these are key key ones. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than others. Oh, yes, sorry. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'll read those again because I believe that's the key to serving. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it talks about how God highly exalted him. And that's God's job, highly exalting him, not our job for ourselves. It's God's job for us so let's not get involved in God's job for ourselves because we'll make a mess of it, okay? But, but Jesus, when he divested himself of his, of his glory, if you like, he took on the form of a servant. That word form is a bit weird because we think uh, it's an outward thing, but it doesn't mean that. The word morphe, oh, I think it is, mor- morphe, it's the inner nature. He was a servant through and through, right from the, the core of his being if you like. That was who he became. He became a servant. It's interesting that the the thing that he chose to become or the thing that was right for him to become was a servant. So it behoves us to to realize that. And it struck me that the life of God inside us, the nature of Christ inside us, really only works when we serve. Because that's its nature. If we try and lord it over people when we've got the nature of Christ inside us, it's not going to work. It might you know, from the flesh we can do it, but you hear what I'm trying to say? If we want to live according to the, the, the spirit and the life that's inside us, we need to learn to serve because that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to be a servant. We're designed to be servants. So it's almost like using a hairdryer to brush your teeth. You know, it's not going to work. Even if it's switched on, it's not going to work. You know, we have to work according to the nature that we've been given, the nature of a, of, of a servant. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he um, was washing the disciples' feet. And, you know, we can get very, I don't know about you when you read the Bible, we can get very sanitized, can't we? You know, in those days, people wore sandals, no socks. They weren't English. They um, walked around. There was all sorts on the, on the roads, like camel poo, you know, all horrible kind of things. They were working. So when they got there, it wasn't like, oh, let me wash your lovely white feet. Was it? It was you know, smelly, dirty, camel pooey feet. That was what he was washing. You know, it was horrible. It wasn't a nice job. You maybe need a peg on like your nose to do the job because it was horrible. You know, it's like changing dirty nappies, but, you know, not quite. You know, it was not nice. That's what Jesus did for his disciples, such that Peter, is saying, No, 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 don't. You, you'll never wash my feet. And then there's a conversation if I don't wash, you've no part of me. But Jesus did the dirtiest, smelliest job that was designed for a servant to do. He did it for his disciples. And then he said, uh, verse 14 of 13, it says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. If you know these things, that's fine. If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. And then in Matthew 20, 25, this is the the passage I was talking about a minute ago when the the mother of James and John, I think it is, came and wanted her sons to be sitting at the side of Jesus in heaven. And and Jesus kind of almost plays a trick on them. Because he says, can "Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they go, oh, yeah, we can drink that. He said, well... You probably will, but I can't promise you a place next to me. You think, oh, that was a bit of a, a, a trick, because they thought they were going to get it, but they didn't. Anyway, that's a bit of a sign. That's just me reading the Bible. It says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, that word mega, whoever would be mega among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Jesus' essential nature was a servant. He came to serve. He came to do those things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He came and looked out for us. And as I've said, to, to, to live effectively, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we need to serve. Because that salvation inside us is a serving salvation. and Yeah. So I'm not going to talk for long, but I, am gonna, this, I, I want to just pull something out for you. Because what I'm trying to say to you, it's not just doing jobs, but it's an attitude. It's a, it's a heart. It's a, it's a way that we see people first that enables us then to do something for us. And I want to look at a story that we look at quite a lot. Um, as a faith church, and that's in Luke seven one to ten. I'm probably not going to read. It, I don't think, but this is the um, this is the centurion who got his mother healed. You know that story. The centurion who got his mother healed. Who knows that story? Who knows a story a bit like it? Who knows the story of the centurion who got his very important boss at work healed? Yeah. Who knows a story about the centurion who got uh, the governor healed? What about the story of the centurion who got his servant healed? And it really struck me. We we look at that story and we and we say, yeah, that's great because we really understand that he understood that Jesus was a man under authority and he said to this one go and this one come. So Jesus was able then to say, be healed and his servant will be healed. But it was his servant. And it's interesting in Luke 7 and verse uh, ooh, uh, 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him highly valued by him. I don't think that means it cost him a lot of money. I think that was his attitude to him. You know, this guy's a Roman soldier, not only a Roman soldier, but he's a Roman centurion, so he's got 80 to 100 people under his his authority. And slaves were kind of to a penny, I think, weren't they? He could have got another one. He might have been able to get a better one, a better-looking one. He could have just gone down the market got another slave. But no, this man, his servant was highly valued. His servant was highly... That's unusual. That's unusual, isn't it? And that says to me, that's the kind of attitude that we as Christians need to have. Because I just wondered, and this is a horrible way of putting it, but what about the little people that are in your life? What about the servants? What about the people around you who are little people, insignificant? There are no insignificant people. There are no little people. There are no people who have, you know, that we should just disregard. But we tend to, and society tends to, and that's not right. And what struck me was, this centurion, if he didn't have regard and high, high value for this servant, he would never have seen this miracle. Because he wouldn't have gone to, but he saw, a bit like Joseph. Remember, I, said, I, I labored the point about Joseph. He saw that their faces were downcast, and then he said to them, What's the trouble? You know, if he had just ignored them and carried on, that little scenario of the dreams getting interpreted probably wouldn't have happened. So, for the centurion, if he hadn't highly valued that servant, he wouldn't have bothered. He'd have gone and got another one. He might have heard about Jesus again, but he would never have got involved in seeing a miracle. It wasn't for himself. It wasn't for himself. It was for his servant, a man he highly valued. And I believe that as we serve those around us, as we have regard for those around us, we'll see miracles. Okay? We won't see them if we disregard people, perhaps. But it's in serving. You see, I was thinking, I was walking to church, I was thinking, you know, I like to have something I can get really excited about. You know, I was thinking, serving. You know, then I thought, well, Jesus was a servant, and he had an exciting life. Jesus was a servant, and he saw all kinds of miracles. So it's not like, because we tend to think serving is boring. Oh, no, I just do a few jobs with people, and, you know, they'll never remember me. And then, uh, you know, thank you, Eeyore, can you get out of the house, please? Uh, But but we can have an exciting life. I believe that if we start to regard the people around us, that perhaps in the past we've seen the small people, little people, insignificant people, and be aware of them. We can then bring the life of God into their lives. We can serve them and bring change for their lives. Because unlike the centurion, the centurion had to go to Jesus and say to Jesus, uh, you say a word. But Jesus said to us that we're a people under authority. And in, in Christ, we can bring change into people's lives through speaking the word. We too are people under authority. We too can speak the word and see people heal. We too can speak the word and see people change. But it's as we have an eye for the people around us, as we have the eye for the little people, the eye for the people that everyone puts down. I mean, how do you treat your dustbin man? Yeah? Do you say thank you to your dustbin man at all? You know, I do, if I see him, and say thank you to him. And they're they're kind of shocked and pleased. You know, know, when I was working on the street, because I would be coming across all the street cleaners. It's great to just thank people, just acknowledge. You know, okay, you're cleaning the streets. That's a fantastic job, you know, because if you didn't clean that street, that would be a smelly old horrible thing, wouldn't it? But people just disregard them. Oh, stupid, you know, he's, you know he's, he hasn't got enough sense to get a proper job. But that's not how we're called to be as Christians. We're called to give people like that, uh, and that's a horrible way of putting it. I don't mean to put it like in a bad way, but give people, whoever's around us, give them respect, give them honor, treat them see their interest as better than our own. And if we do that, I believe we will start to see uh, miracles. If we do that, we'll see the church win the, win the land for Jesus. You know, people aren't crying out for miracles per se. They're looking for people who will love them, respect them, treat them as people, not as dirt, not as poo on their shoes, you know, which is how a lot of people treat other people. And I was thinking that it's not so much... How do I see pe- the people around me? But how do the people around me see me? What does my dustbin man think about me? What does the person who um, I can't think of an example? You know, what does the cleaner at work think of, of me? What does um, the people the homeless people who ask me for money think of me? What do they think of me? Because you know they will think about me because I you know because of how I act towards them. And we're called to treat people. I don't just mean people, this is not like a, what do they call that at school now? PSHE or something. It's not P S H E lesson with respect people, be kind. But no, show them the love of God. It takes a miracle to do that, doesn't it? It takes the life of God, it takes the love of God inside us to do that. But as we begin to be those kind of people that look out for those who others treat with disrespect, people in our lives, that we're aware of them if they look downcast, What's the, what's the issue? Not just think, oh, so-and-so is such a grumpy old person every Tuesday morning. Well, why are they grumpy on a Tuesday morning? What's happened on Monday night? What is it that's making them grumpy? Can I not just ask them and say, why do you seem so grumpy on a... I'm oh, not grumpy, but how, why do you seem yeah. so fed up on a Tuesday? Oh, it's because of this? Well, can I pray about that? Or whatever it is, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. It's just, you know, um, giving people a bit of leeway. I'm not very good at that. I'm a bit intolerant but I need to learn to, to give people leeway. If, if someone's, you know, uh, when we're working on the hot dog store again, you know, we used to think someone comes, you know, and they're a bit, bit grumpy. I might be the 10th person in a row they've had an issue with. You know, it might be they might have had a terrible morning and they get to me and they give me a whole pot of rubbish. But I just need to be tolerant to them and just try and understand them that they've had a horrible day or whatever and try and bring a bit of life into their, into their lives. See what I mean, Harry? So, what am I saying? I believe that if we took hold of this thing to really serve the people around us, by that I mean treating them with respect, seeing their interests are more important than my own. Um, Because what I realized was the reason we don't often do that is because we're looking out for ourselves. People say, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. That's a lie. Because... If you look out for others, God will look out for you. (coughs) And actually, it's better to have God looking out for me than me looking out for me. Because He's much better than I am at looking out for me. And I know that's sometimes a, a bit glib to say and hard to do, but if I'm looking out for others, God will look out for me and He'll send people to look out for me. I don't need to worry about myself so much, but look out for the people around me. And we will revolutionize this city. We'll revolutionize this city. You know, we can sit in prayer meetings praying for revival, but the key to it is just being out there, being like Christ, being his hands, being his feet, and speaking the word when we get the opportunity as well. So, let's see the people around us as valuable. Let's see them as God sees them. If it's a person, that person's valuable to God whoever it is, that if it's a person, that person is valuable to God. So therefore, they need to be valuable to me. And while I'm doing all that, God's bringing about my destiny. The purpose he's got for my life, he's just bringing them about. I don't have to worry about what they are. I just serve, serve, serve. And all of a sudden, I think, wow, I didn't realize that was going to happen. But whilst I'm so busy about, what have you got for my life? Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, straining, straining, straining. It's not going to happen. But your destiny, so I, I can tell you all what your destinies are. Your destiny is more opportunities to serve with more reach, more of a platform. Yeah? That's what God's got for you. More opportunities to serve with, with a bigger platform, you know, and, and more people to influence, if you like. And, and as, we, as we serve where we're at now, we'll come into it. But whilst we, well, we serve, where, serve where we're at now, we are great in the kingdom. We're great in the kingdom. We're mega in the kingdom as we serve. Now, I remember preaching on serving years ago. And this is a bit like a young man not taking an old man's advice. I remember saying, I want to be the best servant that there's ever been. And this older chap I said to me, he said, why do you want to be the best servant ever? That's not about serving. That's, you know, and I'm going, oh, old man. <laughs> but, you know, and it was right, wasn't it? You know, this thing about being the best servant. Why do I want to be the best? Why do I have to be the best? Why can't I just serve? And be who God wants me to be. You know, why do I have to be the best one? It's because I'm still looking to people honouring me. Blah blah blah, aren't I? You know, so it's about, it's about just serving. So, the destination we're going, and the journey we're on, is all about serving. Yeah, serving those around you, having, seeing them as God sees them, seeing them, putting their interests first doing things for them washing you know camel dung off their feet if necessary but doing for them what you know and yeah that's what it is so i want to challenge you those who aren't serving let's start yeah those who are serving let's continue and let's excel in serving not to be praised by man but to just do a good job for you know, to be like Joseph, instead of Joseph that his boss, his prison taskmaster didn't worry about anything that was in his charge because he just did it. He saw what needed to be done and he did it. If you're the kind of person that says, you know what that lot ought to do? You know what they ought to do at our church? This is what they ought to do. Well, you do it. You do it. If you can see it, you do it. or. Get someone else with you to do it. Yeah? Let's be those who, if we see an opportunity, see something that needs doing, let's do it. Um, yeah, so let me challenge you this week to start or to continue or to excel in serving for the glory of God. And we'll all be different. The church will be different. Cambridge will be different. And the glory of God might very well fill this place. Yeah? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word, Lord, that you've called us to serve. Show us how, Lord. We know that it's easy to say and it's sometimes difficult to to do it. But help us to be those who get on and serve those around us. Lord, we want to be a church that serves. We want to be people that serve. And we want to see you fill this place with your glory as we serve those around us. Thank you. I pray blessing upon the church, blessing upon Mark and Cheryl on the holiday, others on the holidays, Father, blessing on those starting school and going back to school this week, Lord, that they would just have such a good year this year, a year of blessing and a year of serving and a year where people see Christ in them, in Jesus' name, amen.